I'm your host, Tori. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is January 30th, and why is this playing again? Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. There we go. For some reason, the intro is playing again. I'm I'm really having a lot of issues lately, huh, guys? It's pretty bizarre. Uh, it's January 30th. It's Thursday. Today, we're going to have questioning of the Trump uh, administration, and uh, we're going to see uh, where we're at. We're going to see where... Our defense is at what is being played out right now. They know for sure they've got three votes uh, from the Republican side that will be siding with, um, you know, the Democrats. Uh, but then there's some Democrats that are saying, well, I'm going to kind of think about it. I don't know how it's going to play out. And the only thing that came to my mind was this simple song. Please enjoy it. Nearly all of which made the case for witnesses and documents. And some of the best questions actually came from the public. I couldn't find a way So I'll settle for 
tell me, tell me lies. That's all they do is lie, 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 and lie. And we're going to analyze what Schumer said today about an hour ago. But it's all lies, lies, and lies. And you have to wonder, why so much lying? What is it? That they're trying to hide. He asked, show us evidence of how you were investigating Biden before that. Guys, my article on the Ukraine shows that there were open cases from 2014. That is how far back they were investigating the Bidens. But okay. Yeah, they weren't doing it in the United States, but they were doing it in other countries. It is incredible. I had a flashback of Hillary Clinton with Nadler, which tells you exactly why this is happening. Listen to Hillary Clinton, how she described black Americans. Not just gangs of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super predators. No conscience, no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way, but first we have to bring them to heal. And the- we have to bring these children to heal. These black children to heal. Mm, anyone to heal. Here's Nadler. Or privilege or anything else. But the facts are the facts. The president is a danger to the United States. He's tried to rig the next election. He's abused his power. And he must be brought to heal. And the country must be saved from his continuing efforts to rig our elections. He must be brought to heal. Or huh. privilege or anything else. But the facts are the facts. Listen to that. The president is a danger to the United States. He's tried to rig the next election. He's abused his power. And he must be brought to heal. And the country must be... He must be brought to heal. Who do they think they are? Apparently, if you aren't part of the swamp, if Congress doesn't have full control of the executive office, if you're not working with them, if you're not making money with them, then you must be brought to heal. This tells us everything we need to know. Everything we need to know. We have them asking to silence us. We have Elizabeth Fakahannis Warren, right? Fakahannis Warren asking and calling on big tech to silence people because it's misinformation. The stakes of this election are too high. We need to fight the spread of false information that disempowers voters. No, no, no. Voters are being empowered because they get to speak. This is what democracy is about. You are undermining democracy with telling us lies, 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 and lies, lies just, just like she lied, saying that she was Native American. I'll do my part. I'm calling on my fellow candidates and big tech companies to do their part. Pretty funny how this woman gets to vote against her opponent. How incredible. Uh, uh, this is just wrong. They are just lying, lying, and lying. (laughs) I see. I see, I see, I see. Now, Twitter can apparently uh, give you an option that you are sending out misleading political information. Oh, what? Yeah. Now you can say that it's misleading political information. If Twitter 
can put an option like this uh, to say that you're putting misleading political information, then Laura Loomer should have her platform back because you consider yourself a source of political, you know, information. This is not how you play the game. This is where it needs to come. If Twitter can tell you that you can choose... If this is misleading political information, then you, Laura Loomer, should have the right to be on the platform because they acknowledge that they are a public platform of discourse for political reasons. I didn't know that this was the Agora where all of us make our decisions. This is one mean of many. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Listen, okay? To the lies Schumer will spew, and I will interrupt, of course, to correct him. From Senator Collins and Murkowski, asked if the president's asked the president's counsel if they could give an example of the president expressing concern about Hunter and Joe Biden before the former vice president announced his candidacy. President's counsel cannot point to a single example to support the claim. So he made up a bogus excuse that his answer was limited to what's in the record. Senator Romney asked the president's counsel if they could clarify the specific date when the president ordered the delay in military assistance and what reason he gave for doing it. Again, president's counsel cannot point to anything to answer Senator Romney. Now these are crucial points and they get right at the question of corrupt motive. The simple, factual question. And the president's counsel, unable to answer them. Wow. You know who could help them answer those questions? Mitch Mulvaney, John Bolton, and our other two witnesses. So could the documents uh, that we have asked to subpoena. A few other moments stood out. I asked presidents, they said they were not demanding absolute immunity. So I asked them to name a single document or a single witness that the House counsel requested as they went through the process that the president said, okay, not one. They couldn't name one. Mr. Philbin had to filibuster PA. Get it? Um, had to filibuster an answer as to the general white reasons they might call immunity. Another moment stood out amazingly. On Monday night, Mr. Dershowitz advanced a scarcely believable argument of impeachment. Yesterday, he went even further, <clears throat> suggesting that because presidents believe their re-election is in the public interest, when they do things to benefit their re-election, it is in the public interest and they can basically do whatever they want. I hear he's correcting it on TV today. That seems to be Mr. Dershowitz's pattern. He gives a statement on the floor and then spends the next day correcting it. What a load of nonsense. By Dershowitz's logic, President Nixon did nothing wrong in Watergate. He was just breaking into the DNC to help his re-election, which of course is in the public interest, according to Dershowitz. Ah, so let's bring up Nixon. 
broke into the DNC to find their corrupt, murderous antics. But, you know, he was a bad, bad guy. Again, why is it that everyone keeps going after the DNC and they keep going down? <laughs> well, this time they're going down in flames. The Dershowitz argument, frankly, would unleash a monster. More aptly, it would unleash a monarch. Think about this. According to Dershowitz, impeachment is only for criminal offenses. Meanwhile, President Trump's Justice Department argues that a sitting president can't be indicted, can't indict for criminal conduct, can't impeach for non-criminal conduct. The president could blackmail a foreign country into poisoning our elections and get away with murder, literally, so long as he's in office. Republicans have gone from denying the president what the president did to normalizing it by claiming every president does it, to now saying there's nothing wrong with it even if he did it. It's incredible. The lengths they will go to justify something most of them, not all, but most, know is wrong. Wait a minute. Okay, stop. President can stop aid at for any reason. He could say, well, I want to have a bowel movement first and then we can continue it. I don't like the way the guy, uh, you know, shook hands with so-and-so. So I'm going to stop it because it's my right to do so. I can pause it. But here we have the Democrats telling you that he stopped giving them aid, which is false. The aid was to be delivered at the end of September. They got the aid earlier than the end of September, earlier than the deadline. So why are they impeaching him for pausing aid? Oh, because they anticipated that what he really wanted to do was hold on to it and not give it to him. Not give Ukraine the aid, which is my federal tax dollars. And if my president says I don't want to give it to them, he should have every right to do so. What a disgusting Batman penguin he is. Schumer obviously in a state that cooperates with the Ukraine. Apparently, apparently New York National Guard, okay, cooperates with Ukraine. Oh, and so does California's. What? Yeah. Well, that's a story that I'm pretty sure Millie Weaver is going to put in a more eloquent way because it is way complex. So, um, Video should be coming out soon on that, by the way. Now, what he's saying is, is that they're psychic and they knew that he was going to withhold aid, even though he didn't withhold aid. But what he did was he didn't allow it to trickle and go. Uh, instead, he gave it in a lump sum and they're upset because it should have been trickle and go because, you know, protest and all. You know, California had deployed their National Guard down to Ukraine so they can meddle and eradicate evidence and down, down. And while President Trump didn't allow money to trickle, all these arrests happened. Happen. Like, um, you know, ISIS leaders, uh, l you know, heads of banks, Burisma guys, other oil and gas oligarchs, like all of them. I, I wonder, have we rounded up that oligarch and his family that have 10 year visas in the U.S.? I want to know. Did we round him up yet? The president's counsel is asking us to confer two new rights on the presidency. The right to ask foreign countries to investigate their political opponents and the right to prevent Congress from investigating their opponents. If Senate Republicans vote to endorse these ideas by shutting down a fair trial, 
they could spell the end of presidential accountability as we know it. Today we'll finish the question and answer period. Then tomorrow we'll take a crucial vote on whether we will debate having four witnesses, having witnesses and documents in this trial. The fate of much of the future of how this republic conducts itself is on the shoulders of four Republicans. I believe Senate Republicans and the President's team are worried about the vote. Yesterday, Mr. Sekulow said that if the Senate elects to subpoena witnesses and documents, the President's team will force all sorts of manner of delay. Take the managers to court, assert privilege, drag it on forever. It was a shocking admission from Mr. Sekulow, revealing how concerned the President's team are, how afraid they are, of eyewitnesses to the President's conduct coming before the Senate. Of course, his argument isn't true. There's no reason for endless delays. The documents are compiled. One key witness has already said he testified. We'd expect the others to comply if subpoenas, if subpoenaed, and questions of privilege can be sorted out right here in the Senate. Mr. Sekulow's argument was nothing more than a threat, a shakedown. He told senators to their faces that the president's team will do whatever it possibly can to prevent them from seeing the truth. It reminds you of something the president would do or say, and it should offend my Republican colleagues just as much as it offends us Democrats. We are a nation founded on the idea of truth, of reason, debate, of facts, ideas, arguments. That's all we're seeking in the trial. As we've said before, we don't know what the four witnesses will say. They're presidential appointees. We don't know what the documents will reveal. They might be exculpatory. They might be further incriminating. We'll live with the facts. We'll live with the truth and let the chips fall where they may. We'll ah, so let me tell you now why they want witnesses. Here's where you're going to hear it. I'm going to let him say it. Okay, in the next couple minutes, he's going to tell you why they really want witnesses. And I'm going to point it out to you in case you missed it. Okay? Will our Republican friends, it is certainly in their interest and the president's interest that we have a fair trial. A trial without truth, without key evidence, without witnesses and documents would render the president's acquittal meaningless. A giant asterisk next to it because the trial was so rigged in his favor. Senator Durbin. <clears throat> Thanks, Senator Schumer. I don't know if there's such a thing as a gruntled former employee, but it turns out that President Trump has plenty of disgruntled former employees. It seems to be the genesis of a lot of tweets these days. John Kelly, John Bolton. Listen to what they said yesterday when they talked about the John Bolton manuscript, which they never, ever really conceded uh, that they received at a certain date. Uh, they said this uh, manuscript contained top-secret information and therefore couldn't be released to the American public. Uh, excuse me if I'm suspicious, but I think the John Bolton manuscript is now in the same desk drawer as the President's tax returns. Instead of an IRS audit, the John Bolton manuscript is going through a security audit that I'm sure will not be completed until after this trial is over. So now we have John Bolton's professed position that the President told him that he was actually doing this, withholding funds from Ukraine for political purposes, which is going to be held back from the American public as long as possible. 
John Bolton should be testifying. What we heard yesterday from uh, those on the other side was the continuing position that this is going to be something like a trial without witnesses and evidence. The American people know a lot more about trials than that, and they certainly understand that there's no trial without evidence and witnesses, and John Bolton, Mick Mulvaney, and the two others we've mentioned should be starters. Now this threat, too, that they're going to prolong this indefinitely uh, because it, it uh, is going to be the uh, only way to deal with this issue uh, really raises another question. Do I understand that Senator McConnell is now arguing we cannot wait to get back to the business of the Senate? The business of the Senate? Last calendar year, we considered 22 amendments on the floor of the United States Senate in the entire year. 22. Six of them from Rand Paul that were dead on arrival and insisted on a vote before we could leave town. 22 amendments. And now they are arguing with a straight face that this trial goes on for another week. It's going to keep us away from serious Senate business. The only Senate business we know has been Mitch McConnell's passion to fill every federal vacancy with a lightly qualified, maybe even unqualified person for a lifetime appointment. Uh-huh. So here's the two things. They want witnesses because they want to know everything, says Schumer. This guy's telling you, no, 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 no. We need to impeach him because he's got Mitch McConnell and he keeps filling up these lifetime appointments, federal positions with people that are not qualified. Excuse me, sir. Who says they're not qualified? Are you upset that we're getting people that are trying to put America first? That's where he's at, you guys. And then you have to think, why would they want these witnesses? Okay. Do you think Bolton's going to say something that's going to harm the president? <laughs> no, he's not. Do you think Mulvaney? No, he's not. Perry? No, he's not. You know what they're going to reveal? That there are grand jury indictments. They want to know where they are, you guys. They want to know what's up. If they can call them through the Senate to testify, they're going to have to reveal their plan. This is why we are not supposed to have the witnesses because they want to know who's in trouble. Because here's how it's going to go. They're going to say, I'm sorry, we can't answer this question because there's pending criminal investigation or criminal court proceedings. That is what's going to be said behind the door, you know, closed doors. The Senate's going to know and they're going to tell the House. They're going to know and they're going to tell Schiff. They're going to tell Pelosi. They're going to tell, well, Mitt Romney's going to find out because he's going to be in a lot, a lot of trouble. They're going to tell Every single senator and congressperson currently under investigation, under seal, deliberated in a grand jury, really what's up? That's what they're doing here, you guys. They are fishing for information. They want information. That is all they want. They want to know where they stand. He tells you that, and. They also tell you, we don't like who they're appointing. Can I say a word about uh, Professor Dershowitz? Uh, 50 years on the Harvard faculty. I'm sure many people respect him for that, and I certainly do too. But it's no longer Professor Dershowitz appearing before the United States Senate. It's advocate Dershowitz. Those of us who've been in a trial situation know that when you're hired by someone, when you have a client, you do everything in your power to argue that the law and the facts are on your side, sometimes pushing the truth just to make sure that your client will win. What we've seen from Professor Dershowitz is exactly that. 
Wait, didn't he say he's not Professor Dershowitz, but now he's Advocate Dershowitz? Now he's saying that he's stretching the truth? Come on, man. They've had a fight. with. If truth was a person, the Democratic Party would have been in a silent fight with them for eons. Yeah. These people have one thing on their mind only, and that is to remain in power. The establishment is terrified. The establishment wants to know what's going on. They have no access. They don't know what's going on. Where's Durham? Where's Huber? And where's the third one? What? Yes. You think there's only two? There's tons. Almost in every state, tons. And we are are putting them on pikes. They know it. It's coming. They know it. They are terrified because it's coming. And this is the only thing they could do. They are demanding witnesses so that the witnesses behind closed doors, because it's confidential, will have to tell them, I'm sorry, they can't testify because there's an ongoing criminal court in the grand jury. I'll see you all in just a bit. Right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show, um, where we left it off right before that commercial break uh, was where the Democrats were talking about the GOP being afraid to call their witnesses. I'm going to continue with this clown because him and Hirono tell you a lot. Listen. He's arguing now, as Senator Schumer said, that if you can identify something as president that's in your, pub- your political interest, and say that's the national interest, then all bets are off. They can go forward from that point and do anything they wish with impunity. Is that really where we want to go as a nation? Honestly, if people are going to believe that this is a true republic or democracy, depending on your taste, they have to understand that the leaders in this country are subject to accountability and the rule of law. The Republicans have missed that, and unfortunately it's at our expense. The last point. Wait a minute. So if the president makes a decision on my behalf because I elected him because I believe that he's going to make the right decision, Congress has a right to say, well, we say it's not the right decision because we don't think so, even though the people thought that you'd make the decision. So in essence, he's not allowed to have executive privilege. Is that what they're saying? point I would make is this. Uh, I listened to these uh, questions yesterday and understood that there are at least, I hope, three Republicans who are seriously considered joining us when it comes to witnesses. We need more. And I hope that there will be more who will join us. This has to be a real trial at the end of the day for the American people to believe in it. If we're going to bring this nation together, we won't with a short circuit of trial so Mitch McConnell can return to his judicial vacancies. I hope the questioning today um, moves along that track. I also want to say... Wait a minute. We need to do this so... Mitch McConnell can't go back to filling the judicial vacancies. Did you hear that? Let me play it again. Let me just rewind it just a little bit. Listen to it. There we go. I understood that there are at least, I hope, three Republicans who are seriously considered joining us when it comes to witnesses. We need more. 
and I hope that there will be more who will join us. This has to be a real trial at the end of the day for the American people to believe in it. If we're going to bring this <laughs> Oops, sorry guys. I totally messed that up with my stupid fingers. It's advocate Dershowitz. Those of us who've been in a trial situation know that when you're hired... Hold on. Let me get it back to where it's supposed to be. Uh, tech. There we go. Listen to it. ...will join us. This has to be a real trial at the end of the day for the American people to believe in. If we're going to bring this nation together, we won't with a short circuit of trial so Mitch McConnell can re return to his judicial vacancies. I hope the questioning today um, moves along that track. I also want to say that the closing comments... So basically, we want witnesses so it doesn't stop, and that way Mitch McConnell can't go back to filling judicial vacancies. You mean we're removing corrupt judges? You mean we're installing honest judges? Yeah, let's keep going. We need to get this dismissed super quick. That's by Mr. Philbin uh, in the first part of the question period that suggested that we could he could receive information from foreign sources uh, without any concern uh, really is a problem. If that is the new standard, God save us, because we're now relying, unfortunately, on an election process that is not protected from information sources that do not have the best interest of the United States in mind. The, the efforts they're making to distort and twist the truth use <coughs> the security of our elections could hurt us for many years to come. Senator Corona. Thank you. We are witnessing the coronation of Trump with Mitch McConnell holding the crown and the Republicans holding his train. So we already know that Trump believes that he can do anything he wants under Article 2 of the Constitution. So yesterday, we listened to, during eight hours of question and answers, this, what I would call, insane view being pushed out to the rest of the country. Amazing. And my colleagues talked about, you know, in, in very hard, concrete terms, uh, what they think Trump can do. And I want to put this into a larger context of what a president who believes that he can do anything he wants under Article 2. This is not a president who cares about checks and balances. So this is a president who already brought us to the brink of war with Iran. Who knows what's going to happen with North Korea as Kim Jong-un continues to play him. The president continues to go after immigrants tooth and nail. We have to ask ourselves, what group is he going to go after next? And he's already given us that information. The next group he's going to go after are seniors because he's going to cut Social Security benefits. I represent a state that has a lot of seniors. And believe me, you know, I looked it up. Alabama, Arkansas, Maine, Vermont, West Virginia. These are states that have almost one in five, more than one in five of their population relies on Social Security. Um, all right. So now here's the next slide. He's going to remove Social Security. You're all going to be broke. You've been paying into it and you're not going to have it because Trump said so. Man, what a hoax from the beginning to the end. But I'm going to tell you how this is all going to come down. It's going to come down to that day in January when they began their plan. It's going to come back down to that day when they 
when President Barack Hussein Obama, who will be impeached retroactively, on May 6th, signed an executive order. The executive order is called the Executive Order for Facilitation of Presidential Transition. At that point, they knew it was a very certain possibility that President Trump would be president. And so when he put this EO together, he put one thing we have never seen before. Any other executive branch official the president determines appropriate. So in that sense, defining executive branch official means anyone that works directly with the executive branch. So he said, the assistant to the president and chief of staff who will serve as chair, the president, deputy chief of staff of operations serves as vice chair, assistant to the president, deputy chief of staff for implementation, the counsel to the president, the assistant to the president for presidential personnel, assistant to the president for national security affairs, assistant to the president for homeland security and counterterrorism, assistant to the president for economic policy and director, national economic council, Director of National Intelligence, Director of the OMB, Administrator of General Services, Federal Transition Coordinator. These are the people that are responsible for coordinating the transition. The transition representative for each eligible candidate who shall serve in an advisory capacity and any other executive branch official. Oh, my gosh. Who is that? (laughs) See, that name is going to be coming up real soon because that will tell you everything you know during the transition, what information they were collecting and why. This is where we're at. Why were they collecting specific information? What were they doing? For what reason? What was the necessity of such information collection infiltration? That's what you need to ask yourself. What were they doing? I'm going to say, well, Tori, hold on. Um, That's for transition. Where does it go? Well, this will lead into the Flynn thing. This will lead into the Ukraine thing. Because they ask questions like, give us one example of this. Give us one example of that. Give us one example of this. And he wouldn't. See, one thing people need to understand is Chief Justice Supreme Court Roberts of the Supreme Court, Roberts, is in a lot of trouble. Yesterday, rejecting the whistleblower question by Rand Paul indicates where he sits. Indicates that maybe those leaked, supposed leaked emails need to be super leaked. Maybe we need to use them. He would not read the question because it named the alleged Ukrainian whistleblower. Really? So he shouted out at him. And he said, no, he said, no, you're not going to have this out here. You're not going to put it out there. That's pretty interesting. And you know what? President Trump has the right to meet his accuser. This is how it's done in our country. So Eric Sierra and a bunch of others. And here's a cool thing, right? We're on radio. We don't have to worry about people telling us you can't say it. He's NSC. He's nobody. 
guys, he's the fall guy. He's the guy that planned it. That's why they are withholding that one document. Only because their whole story is going to fall apart. Okay. He worked with everybody. Everybody and their mother. And remember, anyone working with the executive branch that the president sees fit. I'm just saying. Oh, and a fun fact. uh, He does have a few fetishes. Fun fact. Super fun fact. Now, I wanted to uh, let everyone know that in uh, right after this hour, uh, in our next hour, we're going to talk a little bit about the cor- uh, coronavirus. We're going to talk about the CDC. A lot of people don't understand the CDC. <laughs> what is going on with my computer today, you guys? It is pretty insane. It's pretty insane. It's going nuts. So... The coronavirus. This is something that's being politicized. Uh, this is something that needs to be addressed. Um, I said I, wa- I wasn't going to talk about it. This is pure biowarfare, but not against us, against the Chinese. And you have to ask yourself, why now? And maybe we should ask the European Union because they are the ones that are causing these concerns. Um We've talked about molecular tagging a little bit, so that's uh, that's important you remember that. Uh, molecular tagging, tagging molecules. Let's just put it this way. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that in the second hour. Um, but I also want to talk about these weird earthquakes right now. Just really bizarre earthquakes going around everywhere. Turkey's been hit with... Insane 6.7 magnitude earthquake. We had it down by Cuba. We had all these um, moving and shakings happening. And um, seems that things are really going down. Turkey is upset. Aside from the earthquake and having a problem there, Turkey is now not seeing, not seeing any support from the European Union. Um not in regards to the Turk, the Turkish earthquake, which right now they're, they're, they've got at least 30 dead from it. But, um, the Belgium court ruled that the PKK are not terrorists. Remember, Kurdistan is going to be a real thing and it's happening. Um, I want you to take a listen to Euronews and how they reported that because that is, um, pretty interesting because what we're seeing is that the president of the United States is f- starting to, um, change the face of the Middle East. And um, that's where it comes down to. The face of the Middle East is changing. I said this years ago uh, when he came into office that what's going to happen is is that we're going to be redrawing borders. And we see that happening um, as we speak. So uh, first, let's start with Turkey, which because Turkey doesn't want a Kurdistan because that means they need to forfeit some of their uh, their um, property, their land uh, in uh, you know southern um, Turkey, uh, south southeastern Turkey. Uh, so does Syria. So does Iran. So does Iraq. Iran's been diffused. The situation's been. You see how quick Iran gets out of the picture? It's so weird. Now. Take a listen to what happens, how Turkey responds to what Belgium said.
are a terrorist organization. But it's not only them. It's also in the eyes of the likes of the European Union uh, and the United States, but also, it seems, the Belgium government. But a decision was made this week in Belgium's top court that can show the differences between a judicial system and a government and how that can play out in modern-day diplomacy and on our social media feeds. Now, Belgium's top court dismissed an appeal. That appeal was in relation to prosecuting around 30 individuals that had allegedly links to the PKK, that organisation that, in Europe's, European Union's view, is a terrorist organisation. But that appeal was dismissed, and this has all been playing out on social media. So much so that the Belgian government had to lay out on social media that their view was that the PKK is a terrorist organisation, and Turkey's Ministry of Foreign Affairs has come out with strong words themselves, even criticising the Belgian government. Here, saying that the Belgian court's decision on terrorist organisation PKK, in their eyes, is nothing to do with the law. They said it's ideological and political, saying it's a hypocritical decision taken amid fear by presuming the, uh, to, to lecture the law with regards to Turkey. Now, the ambassador within Turkey has been commenting on social media, laying out his view. Uh, here, saying the PKK and and will continue to be a terrorist organisation, said the Minister of Foreign Affairs, going on here to say, uh, to go on to detail the case and why that decision was made. But even it can, it can show how a diplomatic uh, and foreign affairs ministry accounts interact with each other in this modern day. We had this statement coming out by the Turkish Ministry of Foreign Affairs criticising that ruling and Belgium with, within Turkey account coming out to reiterate what their view is. But it shows just how complicated a case this is and how a court can differ with the opinion of a government. <laughs> yeah, let's just feed everyone BS. Here's what's up. They said the PKK has been working with the governments. They have been funded by the governments. So now they have to come out and call them a terrorist when on paper they have been funded by the very governments that are calling them terrorists. That's not how it works. So in the court of law, Truth goes by documentation. Truth goes by actions. And at the end of the day, if your country has hired them as helping, as mercenaries, you cannot criticize them for what is happening. This is all political show. When the government says, well, I don't care what the court says, still terrorists. Uh, court says, that's the law. So we're now we're going to be defying laws and saying laws aren't real anymore. Kind of like gender doesn't exist anymore. Uh, this is where we're at. Now, um, German news actually broke down, uh, you know, this as well. And it was pretty interesting to see how they played it out. Uh, everyone's saying, oh, they're still terrorists. We don't say they're terrorists. I'm just saying they are. But, uh, you know... Since we've paid them to work for us, they can't be terrorists. It's like, <laughs> it's just not making sense. You can't, you know, say both things and, you know, speak bo out both sides of your mouth. That's just, that's just not the way it works. Um, and this is how it works with Israel and Palestine. They're baffled that President Trump is recognizing Palestine, which is appeasing a lot of, of the Arab nations. I mean, remember, King Abdullah, the one that kicked Pelosi out on her tush, helped formulate this. So there is a proposal on how this Middle East plan will happen by solving or giving some remedy uh, to the hostility that we have uh, between the two nomadic, uh, well, no, Palestinians were there first, let's be honest. Um, but Israel has claimed for so many years, and they will now learn to um, 
live together. They have to, because that's the way it's fixed. Um, and so we have CNN saying, it's not going to happen. We're not going to allow it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, they will. And here's how the Germans see it and how they analyze it, which is, which is a pretty interesting take. I mean, I expected them to be a little bit more kinder considering they're the ones that massacred the Jews and, you know, they'd be a little bit more tender, right? Tender to, to the situation, but they're obviously not. Take a listen to them. Let's take a look, first of all, at a current map of the region that's been released by the White House. You see here, Israel is in dark orange and the Palestinian controlled territory. So that's the West Bank and Gaza here. You see on the map in yellow. Now let's take a look at what Donald Trump calls his vision for peace, his Mideast peace plan. As, as you can see here, it grants vast tracts of disputed land, including the Jordan Valley here, uh, to Israel. And those spots uh, that you see on this map, these are the controversial Israeli settlements. These two would be retained within Palestinian territory. Now, the Palestinians, they would receive parcels of land that you see here right in the south. But critically, Jerusalem would be the undivided capital of Israel. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has denounced the plan. President Trump and Prime Minister Netanyahu are pushing their international peace plan. But they've both got troubles at home. Impeachment hearings against Trump are continuing in the Senate, and on Tuesday, Netanyahu was formally charged with bribery and fraud. But there was no mention of either of those scandals at the White House. Under this vision, Jerusalem will remain Israel's undivided, very important, undivided capital. But that's no big deal, because I've already done that for you, right? We've already done that, but that's okay. For too long, far too long, the very heart of the land of Israel, where our patriarchs prayed, our prophets preached, and our kings ruled, has been outrageously branded as illegally occupied territory. Well, today, Mr. President, you are puncturing this big lie. You are recognizing Israel's sovereignty over all the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, large and small alike. This is what Donald Trump says a future Palestinian state could look like. The map he tweeted shows Palestinian areas in dark green, with the West Bank and Gaza connected by a tunnel. He said Eastern Jerusalem would be the capital of the state of Palestine. The Palestinians have already made it clear this isn't a plan they're prepared to back. I would like to say to Trump and Netanyahu that Jerusalem is not for sale. And all our rights are not for sale, and not for bargaining. Your conspiracy deal will not pass. Opponents of this new plan will need to move quickly. Israeli officials say Netanyahu plans to ask for cabinet approval on Sunday to make the proposed new borders a reality. Let's get some perspective on this story now. We have Akram Baker with us. He's a political consultant who has worked closely with Palestinian leaders. Akram, thank you for joining us here in our thank studios. You. What do you make of this peace plan? How does it, how much does it really shift the situation? Well, it's not a peace plan. It's an absolute uh, 
abdication of all of our Palestinian rights. Uh, it is a deal done between uh, Netanyahu and Trump, um, which just exemplifies the right-wing uh, extremist views that are propagated in the world today. It's, you said it's completely denouncing essentially the Palestinian state, but it does, of course, allow for Palestinian land and a capital in East Jerusalem. No, it doesn't. It is, first of all, they're not disputed territories. They are illegally occupied territories. Um, Which we heard of the Israeli prime minister, of correct. course. Correct. And uh, they are illegally occupied territories. And it gives Israel, it gives the right wing of Israel and the United States and the evangelical, right-wing evangelical Christians, every single thing they want. And it's giving the Palestinians some vague promise of becoming a Bantustan, because that's exactly what they're getting. If you look at that map, it kind of looks like South Africa in the 1970s and 80s. Okay, well, you said in an interview on DW that essentially Israel does already claim or control all of this land already, and that Palestine essentially doesn't exist on the map. So does it not confirm the situation that already exists? So in in my opinion, um, let's thank Donald Trump for finally giving the death knell to the so-called peace process, which I was involved with 30 years ago. From 30 years ago till today, they're talking about the same things. Israel controls all of Palestine and all of Israel. And the, the problem is that um, this is going to continue. If, if this is going to formalize it, then bring everybody in to, into one state and we'll call it, call it Israel, call it Palestine. Let it become a democratic state where there's one, one man, one woman, one vote. Donald Trump has said he's open to negotiations. So what options are there for Palestinians at this point? In my, in my opinion, uh, the, the only option the Palestinians have is, and I've been calling on this for quite a while, and maybe this is the time that they'll finally do it, is to absolve, to dissolve the Palestinian Authority. It is nothing but a sham. There should be no so-called security cooperation with Israel. Israel rules that area. They occupy that area. They should be responsible for all of the Palestinian people and the population living within these territories. We cannot give them any more fig leaves. It's the only way to do this. Otherwise, this is a fast track to war or genocide. Okay, you'd say that would be the solution going forward. How do you feel about the reactions that we saw uh, from Germany, for example, from Europe? Fairly muted. We did see the UK uh, say that they welcome any step towards a solution that means peace uh, between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Okay, so we'll stop there because the break is coming up. But what we need to remember is this is one step and one um, offer. It's up to the Palestinians to... Real news. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So I've decided today to um, let you guys in on something that I don't believe a lot of people know. And I think it's a really important topic. Um, it's about the CDC, the place that I was actually fired from. The only job that I've ever, I was an intern, so it's not really a job, federal work study, right? 
um, in my life for actually doing my job and claiming that if indeed we were to use porcine cells in vaccines that we would be um, uh, uh, introducing certain genetic strands that a lot of humans hold uh, to be vulnerable to uh pig flus, pig diseases, and have zonic transfer. Um, I was so proud of that report because it was so meticulous on a very, very... Um it was so good, guys. Like, I don't I don't toot my own horn many times, but the fact that I was, you know, I came back on Monday and I was and a box met me at the at the desk. I was just like, damn, I'm that good. I loved it and I pride myself on saying that. Um, because even though I don't always wear my scientist hat, that's math and science are the only languages that I really am akin to. And I would consider, you know, I, I never, um, it's really hard. Let's put it this way. The way my child tells me is that when I teach her math or science concepts, I'm able to dumb it down for her enough and she can't you know, even the most complex ideas. And that's because I love it and I know it that well. So when I speak of molecular tagging, which will be something that will be coming uh, to the surface, uh, to the people, where people will be awake on this, um, it will be pretty astounding. But today's show, I wasn't going to go this direction, but I feel like I have to at least introduce it now, even though it's going to come down the line, only because the administration uh, let us see that they are on it publicly. And I'll elaborate on that. But to get yourselves ready, um, I'm really loving this song. I'm just going to play it again for you guys who are driving and listening. Let's just listen to this amazing song again and um, take it from there.
guys, I can't stop singing that song sometimes when it's on. <laughs> I'm really hoping everyone else was singing along to it too. Um, so here's where we're going to go. We're going to take a trip back to 1995. 1995 to show you where the Clinton cartel had established a lot of the things that we're seeing coming up to the surface now. And it's not just, and it's not just, keep it in mind, this coup. This coup is one of many. It's not just. It's a lot more. It is so much more. Because what we're seeing is that you know, we're being attacked from all sides. The, not just the administration, the people. They are telling us how we are dangerous for our own elections. That they know best and that we must listen. But what's most important is health care, right? Isn't it, guys? Didn't we say that health care is the most important thing and that we need to fix Obamacare? That perversion on freedom... The perversion on having the ability to seek what? Health care. Something the Democrats call, um, what is it? Uh, an, an innate right. Mm, health care isn't a right. Because if it was a right by God to be healthy, then we wouldn't have diseases. Uh, the majority of which are um man-made. But before we delve into this preposterous activity of the Clinton cartel, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Kellyanne Conway's uh, briefing. The presiding officer declines to read the question as submitted. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm going to pause that. That's later because it just started. Uh, The uh, live questions to the senators just started. I'm not going to do that. We're going to stick to this. I want to at least introduce it to you before we jump to that. Okay. So let's listen to Kellyanne Conway. Take a listen. Good morning. Thank you for being here. We come before you bearing good news. For the first time in four years, life expectancy in the United States of America has increased. And for the first time in 29 years, the number of drug overdose deaths has decreased. This has not happened through coincidence. It's happened through causation. It's owing in large part to a whole-of-government approach to treat the whole person led by President Trump, First Lady Melania Trump, and really the entire administration. Nearly 70,000 of our fellow Americans died from an overdose last year, and 48,000 of those involved opioids. About 70% of those deaths also involved some type of synthetic opioid, most prominently fentanyl, which could be an instant killer, a couple of tiny grains or a lethal dose. Met with first, we've met with first responders, parents who have lost children, people in recovery, people who are running recovery centers. We met with mothers whose babies were born chemically dependent, and we certainly have met with health professionals All of them have shared stories of loss, but increasingly of courage and recovery. This is the crisis that we call the crisis next door because we want people to know from the beginning that the silence and stigma that attends to many people and prevents them from seeking out the kind of treatment and help that is available to them is a very big priority for us, busting through that silence. We also want to make clear in this crisis next door that it is indiscriminate. It affects all races, races, socioeconomic status, gender, age, and certainly 
other affiliations. If the crisis is indiscriminate, then the response must be indiscriminate. And that's why, in addition to everything that the President and the First Lady and the Administration have done, I wanted to share with you, as a reflection, what I consider to be the most robust and significant bipartisan accomplishment of the President's first term, H.R. 6, the Support Act. The President signed into law following overwhelmingly um, unanimous support from every Democrat who voted for it in the House and the Senate. This overwhelmingly bipartisan action has led to an increase in the money and awareness on the opioid and poly drug crisis. Features of the Support Act include the CRIB Act, where there is more money and more action for those neonatal abstinence syndrome babies that I mentioned before. Medical professionals tell us it's best to keep the mother, it's best for the mother, and it's best for the baby to keep them together, and increasingly that is happening. Also, the nearly $3.7 billion in new grants put forth by the administration have made a real difference in our municipalities. The STOP Act has helped us increase the number of seizures of fentanyl and other synthetic opiates coming through our, our mail. It's up to about 38%, and we have a goal, if not a mandate, of 100%. Let me go through a couple of the numbers. 4.1% overdose death decline overall in our nation. And, that and I'm going to stop right there on the numbers. You guys can take a look at that yourself as well. But here's the thing. Opioids, drugs, poly drugs. So we've dumped a lot of money in keeping moms and babies together, especially if the mom's an addict and the baby gets born an addict, because it's best for both. Because keeping the akin spirits, keeping the mother with the child is good spiritually for both of them. But here, let's get into the science of things. In 1995, Congress committed the first treasonous act against the people of the United States. A foundation was created to mimic the Centers of Disease Control that is part of the Department of Health. The Center of Disease Control is part of the Department of Health, is part of the National Institute of Health, uh, you know, where they um, conduct research, they collect data, they have the best epidemiologist. But the blurred line is there. Those that are at the CDC Foundation, which is where I was at, I was working under their umbrella through federal work study, and I didn't even know that there were two organizations with the same name. It's an independent nonprofit. Are you listening? A nonprofit organization that Congress created to push through private sector resources to support the CDC. That's part of the Department of Health. So in other words, it's kind of like having a Department of Justice. No, wait. Criminal Division of Department of Justice nonprofit that supports private sector deals and collaborations with this with the criminal division of the Department of Justice non nonprofit. Right. Do you see where I'm getting at? So we have the CDC that is a government, not agency. It's not an agency. So the CDC is not an agency. It's a division of the Department of Health. But then we have the CDC as a nonprofit, the one that flies around, the one that closes pub private deals with the public sector to promote um, 
preventative health, protect health and safety. Now, do you want to know what their focus is on? Reproductive health and infectious disease. Funders, funders of this. Here we go. Are you ready? Three top funders. Bloomberg, Bill and Melinda Gates, and Goal Global. We'll talk about Goal Global in a little bit. Not today, later. The countries that are targeted are the United States of America and African nations at a, at a, at a you know, a, as most. But here we have big tech giants like Zuckerberg pledging $25 million to the CDC Foundation. The same foundation that helped back Theranos, you know, that company that General Mattis was part of that sat on the board that was caught for doing what? Trying to cultivate a test where you can test people with one drop of blood, but it turned out that what that company was doing was actually trying to parse out a hormone from blood, from young blood called adrenochrome. Yeah, it, it really happened. And so... The person that was running Theranos, uh, you know, was actually uh, taken to court for money laundering under the Trump administration and got a slap on the wrist. Yet the guy that exposed the CDC Foundation and the pharmaceutical game, this young Albanian loudmouth called Martin Shkreli is sitting in prison for not embezzling money, but for just not doing his paperwork all too correct. No. It's because he asked for a piece of hair of Hillary Clinton. That's what got him in jail. So here we are at a point where we are now faced with a threat, biowarfare, that has been launched against China. It's not about eating bats. Let's stop that, okay? Coronavirus can be eradicated with uh, chloride dioxide, period. It's, it's got the same kind of structure as one that kitty cats have. So if, if you're a cat lady, you're most likely exposed to a very similar virus. We're not getting sick because it doesn't transfer. So what makes this coronavirus so special? Why is it that everyone's going nuts? It's fear. That's basically what it is. I really, really want to get into the CDC. I really want to analyze it. But I think um, because this impeachment, we're going to get the questions and I really want to listen to them with you on the phone. I thought it was best, even though I really wanted to get into detail, I just wanted to say this is one of the most important things I am telling you because it is something that is unable to, um, you know, be stated correctly. Okay. It's not able to be stated correctly mm, in just an hour. So I will dedicate a two hour show. Will I will go through it? Cause I have firsthand knowledge on that, um, you know, in a, a private capacity. So again, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton had set this up in 1995. This is one facet of many more facets of things that they set up. Private armies, private militaries. This is all coming out. You want to talk nuclear energy? You got to know why. You want to talk biowarfare? You want to know why? You know, China got smacked with the coronavirus after they signed phase one of the deal for going against the establishment. And the establishment is not just in the United States, like President Trump said. It is the EU that's the toughest one to make a deal. 
Remember, it was then when they created it. Kelly and Conway said lowest rate of death for 29 years. Now, let's do the math. 20 years ago, 2000. Nine years before that, 1991. You mean Mina, Mina, and the Clintons came on. And they drugged everyone, got everyone sick, released any disease you can think of, right? Increased vaccinations like crazy, and then mesmerized us with technology and the internet, hoping that we would blindly just go in and submit. And she was supposed to take it home 28 years later. 28 years. That's the magic number. 28 years. She was supposed to bring it home. It was supposed to be a done deal. I mean, that's what the history books say in one timeline. And that's why it's so important that we look at the minute details. You can even go to the CDC that has a website that's part of the Department of Health, and they will tell you that they promote public and private cooperations. Not only that, a plane came from China with Americans that left China. It stopped in Alaska to refuel, but it also was there. They also had individuals there to check while they were monitoring them in air and on the ground, check to see, are they sick? And they were supposed to go to an airport in California, right? That's the one that is for repatriation, et cetera. They're ready for emergencies, but the CDC was kicked out of it. Oh, what? Hand it over to the military. So we let them think that they were going there, and then the flight was rerouted in air. CDC no longer has the football. We do. The administration does. The military took it. Now, one might say, is it the U.S. military or is it the military of California? It's the U.S. military. CDC had no comment but to say that some of their scientists and doctors were on that plane and that they're headed to a military base, no longer headed to the airport where it was supposed to be quarantined. So they stopped at a private airport where we inspected their inspectors and they did what they were supposed to do, which was check individuals. We monitored what were they dropping off in Alaska before they came? Were they supposed to drop off anything in Alaska? Private airport, park the stop. Oh, we just stopped to refuel and we checked everyone. So you took everyone off the plane to check them and then put them back on. Interesting. So we watched. And while they were on the plane, headed to somewhere out in a small airport that's used for repatriation on the West Coast, Suddenly, they were rerouted to a military base. That's what happened. And that is how you know we know and we're in control. If the president isn't worried about the virus, you should not be. This is biowarfare against, against who? Against China. A weaponized disease that has affected all those that have gotten certain vaccinations. Molecular tagging. See, this virus is very specific in the way it is and how malleable it is. Uh, there's one thing I'd like to say before I head off to the break with these last two minutes before we hit the ground running on impeachment. And I'll leave it there. Is 
when a protein binds to a receptor, this is how you get virulence, right? It has to recognize, it's kind of like a lock and key, right? It's got to be point ABC has to match with ABC. Well, the coronavirus is structured such molecularly that it needs to bind with ABC, but it might identify DAB as ABC too, because it has a wider fingers, let's say, when it sits and it has more room for error. And that only happens when you have genetic manipulation uh, of the human genome where it can look like something and not be it. And when it locks, it's kind of like a key that you put in a lock, right, guys? If you put the right key, you turn it and, you know, you could take the key out. But when the key is not perfect, you could turn the lock, but then you can't take the key out, right? Because it's stuck. That's what happens. This is why now the coronavirus is so viral. That's what happens. That's what happens. Every time you take a vaccine and they rewrite your DNA, small portions of it, small portions of it, changes things like the way the lock is shaped. So when that key comes in, sometimes the key can't get out until you're dead. That's how it works. This is bio warfare at its finest. And I'm really glad we have a president in office right now that is looking after each and every one of us, regardless if we realize it or not. He is looking after each and every one of us. Right after the short break, we're going to hit the ground running with a live stream delayed by 20 minutes of what's really going on with these impeachment hearings now. Supreme Court Justice Roberts was heard. We're going to hear him in full right after this break. Welcome back, everyone. So we should jump into uh, the Senate uh, hearing. I'm going to pop over to the presiding officer declines, blah, blah, blah. The presiding officer declines to read the question as submitted. Mr. Chief Justice. The senator from Wisconsin. Mr. Chief Justice, I send a question to the desk. Thank you. He muted it. What happened? What are they discussing? Doesn't sound like um, they're really friendly. She's handing over the question. He's reading it. The question from Senator Baldwin is addressed to the House managers. Given that the White House counsel could not answer Senator Romney's question that asked for the exact date the president first ordered the hold on security assistance to Ukraine, what witness or witnesses could answer Senator Romney's question? This should be interesting. So what witnesses do you think? I think they're going to say Bolton and Mulvaney. And here's the paper with the answer. God, it looks like something out of a movie. Okay, so here he goes to the podium with little sticky notes. Hmm, let's see. Is he bald or is he wearing a yarmulke? Uh, I think he's just bald. Here we go, just in a little circle on Thank the Thank you, Chief Justice. Thank you, Senator, for the question. Um, you're right. They were not able to directly answer that question. 
Uh, and we believe that there is a, a tremendous amount of material out there in the form of emails, text messages, conversation, and witness testimony that could shed additional light on that. Including- oh my gosh, did you hear that? We want access to executive communications. That's the translation. Including uh, an email from last summer between Mr. Bolton, uh, Mr. Blair, uh, where we know from witness testimony this issue was discussed. What we do know is from multiple witnesses, Ukrainian officials knew that President Trump had placed a hold on security assistance soon after it was ordered in July of 2019. Uh, so we, we know that not only did U.S. officials know about it and OMB uh, communicate about it, but the Ukrainians knew about it as well. Uh, we know uh, from former uh, Deputy Foreign Minister of Ukraine, Elena Zirkel, she stated publicly, in fact, uh, that uh, the Ukrainian officials knew about it. And- uh, that woman is actually on trial right now for corruption in the Ukraine, but credible witness and all. Had found out about it uh, in July. We also know from the testimony of Laura Cooper uh, that her staff received two emails from the State Department on July 25th, revealing that the Ukrainian embassy was, quote, asking about security assistance, end quote, and that, quote, the Hill knows about the FMF situation to an extent, and so does the Ukrainian embassy, end quote. And that was on July 25th, the same day as President Trump's call with President Zelensky. What we also know is that career diplomat Catherine Croft stated that, quote, she was very surprised at the effectiveness of my Ukrainian counterparts' uh, diplomatic tradecraft, as in to say they found out very early on or much earlier than I expected them to, end quote. We also know that Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman testified that by mid-August he was getting questions from Ukrainians about the status of security assistance. So there is a lot of evidence surrounding. Okay, so here's Croft's email says, wow, they found out pretty soon that, you know, aid wasn't coming in, like trickling in. Now, the aid was supposed to be delivered. Remember, end of September. Now we have to take Lieutenant Colonel Shamed, remove him from the military. Vinman, the anti-American that's wearing our uniform, right? saying that he got light inquiries like people were asking. Were they? It wasn't due. You know when you ask when you're not getting it, right? When you're not getting it. When the deadline has come. When you're being given free foreign aid of millions and millions of dollars, you don't turn around and say, hey, can I have some more? Kind of like this. When you're in a sticky situation, God knows that I have been, you know, if someone is nice enough to help you and says, you know, I'll give you this to help you, uh, kind of like we did to the Ukraine, and I'll, and I'll give it to you by then. In the meantime, if you need it, like desperately and you're dying, then you'll be like, hey, so I know I'm getting it in September, but I really need some right now because I'm like really hurting. That wasn't done. So who told them? that it wasn't trickling in. Who said it wasn't trickling? You mean when we were restructuring USAID and they weren't funding protests? What was it exactly? So now here we have them saying that the evidence you will, we will be able to find is through accessing executive it, communications. Uh, the administration continues to obstruct wholly our efforts to get the emails and correspondence uh, that we have asked for. Executive communications. Executive communications. Didn't Obama write a law that is part of presidential records? Uh, That obviously can be remedied by this body. 
uh, with the appropriate subpoenas, uh, namely a subpoena to Ambassador Bolton to testify uh, and a subpoena to the State Department and Department of of State uh, and Department of uh, Defense and others to actually provide that material. Wait. Subpoena? Why didn't the House do it? They asked, and the president said no. So then subpoena. No, they didn't subpoena because they didn't want to go to court. They wanted him to deliver the State of the Union with egg on his face. That's what they wanted. That is exactly what they wanted. Next question that's being put forward. Take a listen. Wait, where is it? Hold on. Wow. They're... Mitch McConnell's looking at no. Okay, here we go. The question from Senator Toomey and other senators is for counsel for the president. Given that the election of the president is one of the most significant political acts in which we as citizens engage in our democratic system, how much weight should the Senate give to the fact that removing the president from office and disqualifying him from ever holding future federal office would undo that Democratic decision and kick the president off the ballot in this year's election. Okay, that question tells you what they're doing. Not only do they want to impeach him, but they want to make sure he can't get back on. And that's a problem because if the people write his name in, they have no choice. So even if they dared to remove him off the ballot, how dare you, Robert, sit up there And make that face. He pursed his lips like, damn, yeah, you're presiding over this. The most unconstitutional thing ever to tell the people, we know what's best for you. He's not allowed. This is not acceptable. Members of the Senate, one of the concerns that we've raised throughout this process over the last several months, going back to the time when the House was dealing with this, in their various committees is we're in an election year. There are some in this room that are days away from the Iowa caucuses taking place. So we're discussing the possible impeachment and removal of the President of the United States, not only during election season, in the heart of the election season. And I think that this does a disservice to the American people. Again, we think the basis upon which this has moved forward is irregular to say the least. But I do think it complicates the matter for the American people that we are literally at the dawn of a new season of of elections. I mean, we're at that season now. And yet we're talking about impeaching a president. And I want to tie this into the urgency that was so prevalent in December with my colleagues, the managers. It was so urgent to move this forward that they had to do it by mid-December before Christmas because national security was at stake. And then they waited 33 days to bring it here. And now they're asking you to do all the investigation, although they say they, you know, proved their case, but still need more to prove it. Of course, we believe, and I, I want to be clear here, that their entire process was corrupt from the beginning, and they're just putting it on this body. But to do it while the American people are selecting candidates for nomination to be the head of their party, to run as president of the United States, some of you in this very room, and to talk about the removal of a president of the United States, I think that's all part and parcel of the same pattern and practice of irregularities that have taken place with this impeachment proceeding 
since the beginning. The Speaker allowed the articles to linger. It was such a nationally urgent matter that they could linger for a month. So we think that this points to the exact problem what's taking place here, and that is, as my colleague Mr. Cipollone has said, this is really taking the vote away from the American people. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Exactly. Thank you, Counsel. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's what they're the trying to from do. Montana. Mr. Chief Justice, I send the question to the desk for the House managers. Thank you. Oh, let's see. In a reality where they actually got him removed for the ballot, over 70 million people wrote him in. Senator Tester asks the House managers. Yesterday, Mr. Dershowitz stated, quote, if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment, end quote. Do you believe there is any limit to the type or scope of quid pro quo a sitting president could engage in with a foreign entity as long as the intent of the sitting president is to get reelected in what he or she believes is in the public's best interest? Ah, circling back to Barack Hussein Obama, give me some time after the elections. Chief Justice, Senator, there is no limiting principle to the argument that we heard last night from the president's team. That is, if there's a quid pro quo that the president believes will help him get reelected, and he believes his reelection is in the national interest, then it doesn't matter how corrupt that quid pro quo is. It's astonishing that on the floor of this body someone would make that argument. Now, it didn't begin that way in the beginning of the president's defense. But what we have seen over the last couple days is a descent into constitutional madness, because that way madness lies. If we are to accept the premise that a president essentially can do whatever he wants, engage in whatever quid pro quo he wants, I will give you this if you will give me that to help me get elected. I will give you military dollars if you will give me help in my reelection. If you will give me illicit foreign interference in our election. Wait a minute. He's not even answering the question. Now, the only reason He's you not make answering that the question is because you know your client is guilty and dead to rights. He's not that answering the question. That is an argument made of desperation. The question is, is there a limit? Is there some quid pro What's quo so he can do? to me is... He didn't say anything about being... <laughs> half a century ago, oh my God. we had a president who said, well, when the president does it, that means... It is not illegal. That, okay, of course, I'm was skipping. Richard. Dangerous argument that they made that no quid pro quo is c too corrupt. If you think it'll help your reelection, they compounded it by saying, and if what you want is targeting your rival, it's even more legitimate. That way, madness lies. Joe Biden isn't even a rival. Is he insane? And totally Justice, seeing the little man boobies on Adam Schiff just Send saying. a question to the desk on behalf of myself and Senator Young. Thank you. That was Kramer and his question, right? Let's see it. Let's see, Senator from North Dakota. Show us. I want to see what Kramer put out. Thank you. The question from Senator Kramer and Young is for the counsel for the president. 
Manager Schiff regularly states that if the president is innocent, he would agree to all of the witnesses and documents that the managers want. Is the president the first innocent defendant not to waive his rights? Mr. Chief Justice, Senator, thank you for that question. Uh, because the answer is obviously no. The president is not the first innocent defendant who decided not to waive his rights. And I think it is striking and shocking that one of the arguments that has been repeatedly deployed by the House managers throughout these proceedings, we heard Manager Nadler say, only the guilty hide evidence. Only the guilty don't respond to subpoenas. And Manager Nadler, uh, excuse me, Manager Schiff say that this is not the way innocent people act. Well, of course, that's contrary to the very spirit of our American justice system, where people have rights and asserting those rights cannot be interpreted as an indication of guilt. That is expressly forbidden by the laws and by the Constitution. And the Supreme Court explained in Borden-Kircher versus Hayes, a case that's cited in our trial memorandum, that the very idea of punishing someone, which is what the House managers are attempting to do here with their um, obstruction of Congress charge, to say that if the president insists on the constitutional prerogatives of his office, if the president insists that like virtually every president, at least since Nixon, and some going beyond further back to that, he's going to assert the immunity of his senior advisors to compelled congressional testimony. If he's going to assert those rights grounded in the separation of powers and essential for protecting constitutionally based executive branch confidentiality interests, we're going to call that obstruction of Congress and impeach him. And it's this fundamental theme running throughout both their obstruction charge and their arguments generally here that if the president stands on his constitutional rights, if he tries to protect the institutional prerogatives of his office, which he is duty-bound to do for future occupants of that office, that's somehow an indication of guilt and shows that he ought to be impeached. And that's fundamentally antithetical to the American system of justice and to our principles of due process, to our principles of acknowledging that rights can be defended, that rights exist to be defended, and asserting those rights cannot be treated either as something punishable or as evidence of guilt. And there would be a long line of past precedents, presidents, excuse me. As Professor Dershowitz pointed out, there are a lot of presidents who have been accused of abuse of power. There'd also be a long line of precedents who could have been impeached for quote-unquote obstruction of Congress if every time a president insisted upon the prerogatives of the office of the presidency and insisted on defending the separation of powers, that could be treated as something impeachable and as evidence of guilt. President Obama himself refused to turn over a lot of documents to the House in the Fast and Furious investigation. His attorney general was held in contempt. But no one thought that that was an impeachable offense. So the concept of saying that when the president asserts constitutionally grounded prerogatives of his office, that is evidence of guilt, is a completely bogus assertion. It's contrary to all the principles of our American justice system and to fundamental principles of fairness, and it ought to be rejected by this body. Thank you. Thank you, counsel.
Yes, spot on. Mr. Chief Justice. The Senator from Alabama. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. I uh, send a question to the desk. Thank you. Let's see what he has to say. Hmm. Be interesting. I love doing this live with you guys because sometimes we listen to things and we don't realize what they're really telling us. That's the problem, that we don't realize exactly what's going Senator on. Senator Jones's question is for the House managers. Aside from the House's constitutional impeachment authority, please identify specifically which provision or provisions, if any, in the House rules or a House resolution authorize the subpoenas issued by the House committees prior to the passage of House Resolution 660. In addition, please list the subpoenas that were issued after House Resolution 660. Ooh, please. I wonder how they're going to answer this one. We need to see it. Oh my gosh, is it Schiff again? Jesus, that guy won't shut up. He's got no paperwork. He's just going to wing it. Oh my gosh. Uh, Senator, we will compile the list. Um, we don't have it accessible at the moment. And in answer to a question, oh, we do have it? We do have it. Um, let me just, if I could, um, specifically the subpoenas that went out after the passage of the House resolution were a subpoena to John Eisenberg, a subpoena to Brian McCormick. Robert Blair. What happened? Blair, Michael Ellis, Preston Wells Griffith, and uh, Mick Mulvaney. But let me underscore something that uh, my colleague, uh, Manager Lofgren, had to say. And let me break this down, if I can, in very practical terms. What is the practical import of what counsel for the president would argue? And it is this. Wow, she let's has say like that really a Democrat is elected in November. Okay, I'm, I'm, and let's say let's that any one of you that chair, part. and Can if you need any evidence of their bad faith, of which is abundant, the shifting and springing rationalizations and explanations, when we had Corey Lewandowski in the Intelligence Committee, they said that under instructions to the White House, he wouldn't answer questions because he might, they might claim executive privilege. Now, this was someone who never worked for the executive. They made the claim they might uh, use executive privilege. You have a sorry, partisan impeachment by Schiff. Good. Dazzling my tush. Senator from Texas. Mr. Chief Justice, I send a question to the desk on behalf of myself and Senators Hawley and Graham. Thank you. How dare he say that? A partisan impeachment, an abuse of power. And you know... The more I look at his hairline in his hands, the more he looks like those disgusting pictures. But I know there's a video. I didn't know about the pictures. The question from Senator Cruz, along with Senators Hawley and Graham, uh, is for both uh, sides, the counsel for the president and the House managers. Yesterday, Manager Demings refused to answer whether Joe Biden sought any legal advice concerning his conflict of interest on Burisma, the corrupt Ukrainian company that was paying his son, Hunter, $1 million per year. USA Today reported that when asked about it, Vice President Biden said, <coughs> excuse me, quote, he hadn't spoken to his son, Hunter Biden, about his overseas business, end quote. That account was contradicted by Hunter Biden, 
who told the New Yorker that he told his father about Burisma and, quote, Dad said, I hope you know what you're doing, and I said, I do. Why do Joe and Hunter Biden's stories conflict? Did the House ask either one that question? The White House counsel goes first. Nadler's pointing his finger, raising his finger. Who's going to go? Who's going to go? But we've got Pam Bundy coming up. You heard our answer. I'm sorry, Chief Justice, Senators. Um, Senators, you heard our answer regarding that yesterday. But it is very interesting that he said he never spoke to his son about overseas dealings. His son said different things. Joe Biden was the point man for Ukraine, investigating at the time, Ukrainians were a corrupt company, Burisma, and Zolchevsky, its owner, an oligarch who, by all media accounts we've discussed, was extremely corrupt. Hunter Biden has paid $83,000 a month, a month, to sit on that board with no experience in energy, no experience in the Ukraine, doesn't speak the language, and we clearly know that he had a very fancy job description. And he did none of those things. He attended one or two board meetings, one in Monaco, and then he went on a fishing trip with Joe Biden's family in Norway. The entire time, Joe Biden knows that Joe Biden knows that this oligarch is corrupt. Everyone knows that. There are news reports everywhere. Yeah, he helped bail him out of a charge in the UK. No one will dispute that. In fact, it raised eyebrows worldwide. But the vice president, by his account, never once asked his son to leave the board. We wouldn't be sitting here if he did. He never asked his son to leave the board. Instead, he started investigating the prosecutor who was going after Burisma and this corrupt oligarch who they say was corrupt even by oligarch standards. Here's what the other side says uh, quickly before it ends. and his son. And what I can tell you probably like just about everybody in this chamber, um, there are probably some conversations that I can't repeat to you about my conversations with my son. So I don't know the answer to your question, uh, Senator, what uh -huh. that exact conversation was. But what I can tell you is this. If we are serious about why we are here, Okay, so I'm going to stop it there. That was interesting to listen to. So they brought up a woman to match with a woman, even though Schiff was looking that he wanted to go. And it's private conversations between father and son. Not when you use your office to benefit. That's not the way it goes. That's not how it works. Guys, hopefully they don't have the votes. Right now, it's a 49% chance that it gets dismissed. So it keeps going lower and lower. The only thing I can say is pray. Pray, pray, pray. Because the more we pray, the better the outcome is in the end. Always. Because he does listen. He just doesn't listen the way we want him to. God bless from all of us here at Red State Talk Radio. See you tomorrow. Hey.